welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. On the website, but let's jump into the word today. I want to I finish up a sermon series I started. It's just a short sermon series about joy. Uh, and about the joy of the Lord. Our main passage is found in Nehemiah, where Scripture says, uh, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so I want to talk to you about the joy of the Lord. The past couple of weeks I've been talking about joy. I, I think the first week I talked about the fact that, that, that if you want to have the joy of the Lord, you need to learn to enjoy the journey. And um, then last week I talked about if you want to have the joy of the Lord, you need to learn to enjoy the healthy or enjoy what, what, is, what, what should be enjoyable, enjoy what is healthy. And so um, hopefully that helps you out with Thanksgiving along with other practical ways. Uh, but today I want to talk to you about the perfect sort of um, uh, prototype of joy. I want to talk to you about the, the perfect example of joy because over the past two weeks I've been looking at an imperfect example of joy, which is a man named Jonathan. Jonathan was in the woods with his dad, and Jonathan is, is this, in, in this story is the story that we've been looking at to draw out principles of joy. And, and it's good. It's a good story. It's fine. Uh, but the ultimate example of joy is God. So Jesus is the ultimate example of joy. And so today I want to talk to you about God. I want to talk to you about a joyful God, if that's all right. They may, they may, they may clash with your theology a little bit, but, uh, but God is, I don't know if you know this or not, but God is a joyful God. He's a celebrating God. He's a happy God. He's not grumpy. He's not disappointed. He's not frumpy. He's not hard to please, right? He is a joyful, happy-go-lucky kind of God. And um, yeah, and uh, some of you are like, really? Is, is this a Christian church or what are we in here? No, like seriously, God is a joyful God. He's the perfect example of joy. And uh, I, I, I get that from a number of uh, passages in the scripture. But the first one I want to look at is actually in 1 Samuel chapter 15 which, uh, or 14, which is the chapter we've been walking through, the story that we've been looking at. And, and actually, I'm, I'm not going to read the whole story because it gets kind of long. But what happens is, remember Jonathan and his dad Saul are pursuing the enemy, and they are victorious. They're winning. They enter into the woods, right? And, and Saul cannot enjoy the journey, and so because he can't enjoy the journey, he says, no one can eat anything until we get victory. And so he makes the entire the army, the entire army, he makes them uh, hungry. He makes, he, 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 he zaps their strength because he can't, he can't have joy. Man, I wonder how much strength you're losing because you're not walking in the joy of the Lord. It's so easy to walk in the discouragement of 2021. Uh, it's, not, it's not cool to be joyful. I don't know if you noticed that or not. It's not trending on Twitter, all right? Joyfulness is not trending. But yet it is, it is the, the eternal state of God. God is eternally joyful, eternally optimistic, eternally thinking and looking for the best. And so God is, is telling us this story because he wants to show us who he is. And we see Saul 
walk into the woods. And Saul says, we're not needing anything until we get victory. And that's, that's, that, that's exactly how he sounded, by the way. And then, uh, and, and, then, and then Jonathan walks into the woods, and Jonathan has actually been accomplishing some great things for God, but yet he, he, he has the wisdom to know that he can celebrate a little bit, that he can eat some honey along the way. You can keep walking and count your blessings as you go. And so he's, he's doing that. He's enjoying the journey. That was what I talked about a couple of weeks ago. But then also he's enjoying that thing which is actually healthy for him. He's prioritizing his health over external accomplishments. And because of that, he is a great picture for us. But what happens is Saul had said that nobody was allowed to eat and Jonathan ate, right? And so nobody told Saul about this. And they, 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 they got into the battle and they had a pretty good victory. And then Saul said, let's, let's go finish them off. Let's go chase down the Philistines and have, and have a, a, just a, a complete victory and be at rest from our enemies. And they said, well, we should pray about that first. And so they tried praying about it. And when they prayed about it, God wouldn't answer them. <laughs> That's unfortunate. And so Saul said, somebody must have sinned. Something must be going on here because God's not answering. And so they did. They found out that Jonathan had eaten the honey and, 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 and that Saul had sworn an oath that whoever ate the honey would die, right? And so now he's stuck in this really awkward position of having to execute his son for snacking on some honey. <laughs> And, uh, of course, that sounds ridiculous to us, but Saul, remember, he's a man who wants everyone to think he knows what he's doing. So he's going to go through with this. He's going to kill his son so that they can go on with victory. And, and that's, the, that's, the, that's the burn. When you, can't, when you can't walk in the joy of the Lord yourself, you'll end up sacrificing people that are closest to you because they don't fit with your current agenda. And so Saul is, he's, he's ready to do it. And the people actually, the, the soldiers stand up for Jonathan and they say, look, Jonathan is actually the one who started this whole victory for us today. There's no way that we're going to kill him. So the people save him. And so if we could just go to that, to that verse here, I think it's at the end of chapter uh, 15, verse 45. The people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head will fall to the ground. And this is what stood out to me this week. For he has worked with God. For he has worked with God this day. And the people saved Jonathan. For he has worked with God. And as I've been preaching over the past couple of weeks, Jonathan is the one that we've been drawing from as an example of joyfulness. It's an example of, of, of yes, having a, a drivenness to you. Yes, having, being on mission, but walking with joy. And here at the end of this story, the, the, the soldiers say that Jonathan has worked with God. You're never, you're, you're never more joyful than when you're working with God. When you're working with God instead of working on your own, <laughs> instead of working against God, instead of working for your own desires, when you're working with God, you are working with joy because God is the perfect example of joyfulness. And so I saw that and I thought, man, yeah, it's true. We, we, we've, been, we've been drawing some good things, learning some good things from Jonathan, but beyond all of that, there is, Jonathan's tapping into something. Jonathan's tapping into the joy of the Lord. So I've been talking about the joy of the Lord as our strength, the joy meaning the joy that comes from the Lord. But actually, what if, what if we also look at the joy of the Lord or the Lord's joy? At the joyfulness of God, the fact that God is 
joyful. And I believe that if we can learn to work with God, we, that's one great way that we can tap into joy. And so I know I've been talking to you about a couple of ways, enjoying the journey, enjoying what is healthy. But the greatest way to walk in joy is to walk with God. The greatest way to work with joy is to work with God. The greatest way to be married with joy is to be married with God. Okay. <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't know, I've been married with God for a while. And, 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 and. Yeah, okay. You know, like really with God. I mean, actually putting God at the center of your marriage. I mean, actually praying together as a couple. I mean, actually focusing on God instead of just focusing on the weaknesses of each other. The best way to have it be a joyful parent is to parent in partnership with God. When we do things on our own, this is where we lose all of our joy. But when we work with God, this is where we walk with joy. When we, when we live with God, this is where we live with joy because God is joyful. And I still think, even as I'm saying that, obviously you guys are kind of like, eh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't brought. And it could be that your version of God is not joyful. The God in your head, right? The, the judge who sits behind the, the judgment seat of, who sits at the judgment seat of Christ, who's ready to, to, to annihilate sinners, right? Perhaps your version of God is not one of joyful. When you read scripture, maybe the joyful verses don't jump out to you. Maybe your Jesus is the one who's plotting the whip, you know, and getting ready to walk into the temple and turn over some tables. I mean, that's, that's Jesus too. Uh, but he's doing it with a smile. I'll just, I'll just say that, you know. He may, he may be busting up some, some hypocrites every once in a while, but he always does it with a smile. Because it, underneath all that God is, is this consistent joyfulness that he has. So I, so, so I want to look at a passage of Scripture and really just walk through this verse, uh, this passage of Scripture uh, called, uh, found in Isaiah 62. So if you have a Bible, you can go there. If not, we'll have it on the screen. But Isaiah 62, and it's a bit of a long chapter. I don't know if I'm going to read the entire thing, but as I was reading this, Ro and I were, were, were talking about the joyfulness of God. We came across this passage, and I think this really explains it. Now this, just to give you some context, this is the beginning of Isaiah chapter 62, which Isaiah 62 comes after Isaiah 61. And Isaiah 61 is the passage of Scripture that Jesus turned to uh, in his first sermon ever, right? In the Gospels, when Jesus has his first sermon ever, they hand him the scroll of Isaiah, and they ask him to read from it. And he rolls it open, and he finds chapter 61. And he reads from chapter 61, which, which says something like, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the captive, to proclaim liberty to those who are bound and oppressed, uh, a recovery of sight to the blind, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's grumpiness. Just kidding, just kidding. The year of the Lord's favor. <laughs> and, 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 and then he rolled up the scroll and he sat down and he said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus said, see, when, 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 when they read, when they used to read that, they saw Isaiah was writing this. Isaiah was saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And when Isaiah wrote it, that's what he thought. He was, he was saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's called me to declare things that are coming, which are good, good news for you, the gospel. I'm here to give you some good news. But then Jesus said, actually, Isaiah was prophetic about what the Messiah would say. So he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to do all these things, right? And so Jesus brought some revelation to it. And so because of that fact, because 
Isaiah 61 is a prophetic proclamation from the Messiah. I happen to believe that Isaiah 62 kind of flows along with that. You can believe whatever you want and you go study it for yourself. But I feel like if Isaiah 61 is the words of the Messiah, Isaiah 62 is also the words of the Messiah because it's directly connected to the year of the Lord's favor. This is, this is a continuation of what he started in chapter 61. By the way, originally... The Bible wasn't written in chapters, so <laughs> Isaiah didn't have 61 and then start writing. He, he wrote this whole thing out all together. Later on, they, they, they divided them. So, 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 the, so I believe this is a message from the Son of God. This is a message from the Messiah. This is a message from Jesus. He says, he says I will speak out to shame and judge Jerusalem. Oh, no, wait, that's not what he says. I will speak out, he says, to encourage Jerusalem. Now, anytime you see the word Jerusalem or Israel or Judah, he's talking specifically, yes, about a geographical location. But when he's talking prophetically about it, he's not just talking about a particular city. Now, now I know we should support Israel and pray for Israel, the actual, the actual country. But at the same time, when he says Jerusalem, he means the people of God which the people of God, since the coming of the Messiah, has, has spread out from just one particular country, one ethnicity, to the Gentiles, to us, right? We have been adopted into the family of God. Therefore, when he says, I will speak out to encourage Jerusalem, he's saying, I'll speak out to encourage Danielle. That's what he's saying. I'll speak out to encourage Manessa. I'll speak out to encourage my people, whether they are from Jerusalem or from Texas, right? Or from Michigan, which this week, it's a good time to be from Michigan. I'm just saying, based on what happened yesterday, it's a good time to be a Wolverine. That's what I'm saying. So he says, so we don't, so really, if you're from Ohio, the Lord is speaking to encourage you that don't give up on life. It's okay. Your team isn't as good as Michigan, but they're, but they're, they're still okay. They, they, they'll get in, they'll be in the top 10 probably. Probably, maybe, possibly, if they don't lose again next week, which would be great, honestly. Anytime Ohio loses, the Lord is, is happy with that. But he's speaking out to encourage that, 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 team, that team from below. That, you know, that team that is located below Michigan. You know, Michigan's up here, that team down there, that team. Whenever they lose, it's a good time. But um, no, he's speaking out to encourage, and this is what God does. He speaks out to encourage us. He says, I will speak out to encourage Jerusalem. I will not be silent until she is saved. <laughs> and so I want to talk to you about a joyful Jesus, a joyful God. And I want to show you some of the things that he does. So I'll, I'll, I'll come back to this in a minute. He says, he says, and her victory, he says, I'll speak out until she's saved and her victory shines like a torch in the night. Jerusalem or the people of God, the nations will see you victorious. All their kings will see your glory. You will be called by a new name, a name given by the Lord himself. You will be like a beautiful crown for the Lord. No longer will you be called forsaken or your land uh, be called the deserted wife. This is in the, the Good News translation, by the way. I, I, I just, you're like, you're, you're looking at New King James or something. It's not going to say that. But, it, but, it, but this, this is what those, those words mean. Your new name will be God is pleased with her. Your land will be called one who is happily married. Because the Lord is pleased with you, and will, you will be like a husband to your land. 
Like a young man taking a virgin as his bride, he who formed you will also marry you. As a groom is delighted with his bride, so your God will delight in you. Let's stop right there. Your God will delight or have joy or rejoice or be happy in you. And this is who God is. So I know for much of us, this is not the version of God that we've grown up with, a God who is delighted or happy with us. A God who smiles when he thinks about us. A God who is like a, uh, like a newlywed husband. Not like a husband married for 15 years, but like a newlywed husband. <laughs> Specific. That's how long I've been married, yeah. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like when you first get married, it's different than when you've had kids for a while and, and things change. Uh, the love grows deeper, but it's not as, I don't know, uh, it's, not a, it's not a honeymoon anymore, right? They, as they say, the honeymoon phase is over. And God is reaching for an example of his love for us, and he doesn't go to the old married couple, which is beautiful. People that I went to a funeral this week of a, of a couple that had been married, I think, 62 years. And, and that's, that's amazing, right? And there's some deep commitment there. There's some deep love there, and that's beautiful. But when God reaches to explain his love for us, he could have said that. He could have said, man, like a, like a lovely old couple sitting at dinner. They, do, they finish each other's sentences, right? Like he could have drawn that conclusion but, or, or that parallel, but instead he drew the newlywed parallel because he wants to show his giddiness toward us. You say, well, that's sort of silly because all of us know that that doesn't last. What really lasts is commitment and love and, and friendship and all that. Well, it's true, but God is he's go, he's reaching for silly <laughs> when he's describing himself. He's reaching for kind of over-the-top, kind of giddy, kind of unrealistic, right? Sort of not, not quite grounded yet, not quite... Uh, uh, realistic expectations just kind of kind of a, 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 a new husband on his honeymoon you know the sky's the limit we're gonna we're gonna conquer the world together you know everything's gonna be perfect that kind of love he says this is the kind of joy that I have for you even though he is not silly even though he is not unrealistic, even though he is not caught off guard by anything yet he approaches us his people with this kind of joy. And so I want to talk to you today about the God who delights in you. The God who has joy. Not just because he's good and he's awesome and everything's going to work out in his plan, but when he looks at you, he has joy. When he, when he thinks about you, he has an excitement about it. He has a giddiness about it. He has a happiness about it. And I want to talk to you about some of the things that a joyful God does. First off, he speaks up for us. So if you can go back to that verse 1, he says, I will speak out to encourage my people. This is how, this is one way, by the way, that you can always tell the difference between the voice of Satan in your head and the voice of God. Ask yourself, is this voice encouraging me or is it discouraging me? Now, I don't mean, is it feeding my flesh? Because I'm not, I don't mean, does it make me feel good? That's, that's not the answer. But to encourage. This is why the joy of the Lord is my strength and not just my Prozac. The joy of the Lord doesn't just make me feel good. It doesn't just make things, it's, it's, not, it's not a hormone replacement. The joy of the Lord helps me become strong to do something. So when God encourages us, he doesn't just make us feel good. He brings courage into our spirits. He encourages us. He strengthens 
strengthens us to move forward. And the enemy, by the way, will say nice things about you, make you feel good, but paralyze you from moving forward. So this is how you know the difference between the voice of God and the voice of the devil. The voice of the devil will discourage you. It'll rob you of courage. It might make you feel good about yourself, but it'll rob you of courage. You won't take that next step. You won't move forward when you're listening to the voice of the enemy. When you're listening to the voice of the enemy, you will believe that your best days are behind you. When you're listening to the voice of of the enemy, you will believe that you have made too many mistakes. When you listen to the voice of the enemy, you will believe that you cannot take the next step. You might feel good about it because self-pity feels good in the moment, right? Right? It's like, well, yes, okay. You feel, you have this warm, fuzzy feeling, but you don't move forward. But the voice of God encourages us. He tells us, no, wait, you can do something better than you've done in the past. You can move forward. Man, I don't know about you, but anybody walked with Jesus for more than five minutes and had the voice of God encourage them and strengthen them. And look, he says, I won't shut up until you are saved. In other words, when he's encouraging us, it's not after we've accomplished the victory. It's not after we've done something great. Then he's like, hey, good job. Pat on the back. You're doing good. Some of us, we only feel the pleasure of God when we act in the way that we feel that God is expecting us to act. But no, he says, I won't stop encouraging you until you have victory. In other words, I'll encourage you before you have victory. Like while you're in the middle of the struggle, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to speak out words of encouragement while you're struggling, while you're battling, while you're falling back even, while you're getting beat, right? Like like God isn't just the cheerleader that only cheers when we score a touchdown. He's cheering us when we're down, right? He's cheering us when we're fourth and 20, right? And it's like, man, I don't know that we're going to make it. It's at that point that he is cheering you on. It is at the point of your, of your discouragement. It is at the point of your, of your bondage even and of your defeat. that He says, no, I believe that you can make it. I believe that you can, you can accomplish something greater than you've ever accomplished. God, the voice of God is an encouraging voice. And it's not just encouraging like, encouraging like I sit in my bed and I hear the voice of God encouraging me. I mean, literally, his word is encouraging. Like, like, this is why we encourage you to read the Bible on a daily basis, because you never know what's going to jump out at you and what's going to encourage you. We're not, we, we, we don't think you should read the Bible because it's some kind of good luck charm. It's like, well, okay, well, I, I, I read it, so then I get some supernatural power. There's nothing magical about the words, right? It's not like if you read it in Latin, it's more magical or anything like that. It, 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 is, it is the fact that God wants to encourage you. And so in John 4, uh, 16, uh, you might be reading one day and come across John 16, 33. Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart or be encouraged. I've overcome the world. Isaiah 41, 10 says, do not fear for I am with you. Don't be dismayed for I'm your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. Philippians 4 says, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God that is above your understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So this is why we read the word for encouragement. We come across passages uh, like Romans, uh, what is it? Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. You might be in the middle of a lot of things working and you don't think they're working together. And then you read this scripture and the Holy Spirit, see this is the voice of the Holy Spirit. The voice of the Holy Spirit is an encouraging voice. He wants you to not quit. He wants you to not get discouraged. He wants you to not back down. He wants you to to, to stop doubting his power in your life. And so he will speak to 
what he's doing in your life to encourage you. So many times, man, so many times I've been, I've been discouraged and then I picked up my Bible and I walked away encouraged. So many times I've been discouraged and then I listened to a Christian song and I walked away encouraged. So many times I've, I've, I've woke up discouraged and I've had time in prayer and there's been a shift in my focus and in my ability to see my life from God's perspective and suddenly I get encouraged. So the joy of the Lord is my strength is not some kind of thing that I'm just saying and it's not some secret thing that you just like hum and like cross your legs and then the joy hits you. Like, no, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that. He changes your perspective you hear his words of encouragement you say all right I think maybe I can make it I think maybe I can be different I think maybe even like even in the midst of my struggle God still believes in me and there's so many times I have I have asked him right to to encourage me and if you're in a place today where you're like man I need God to encourage me you can ask him he says, he says, I'll speak out to encourage you. I'll never stop encouraging you until you accomplish the victory, until you're saved, until you're free of this, of this struggle, of this, of this complication, of this conundrum, of whatever it may be that, that is in your life. He says, I'll keep speaking words of encouragement to, to you. And this, and, and you might not even be in, say, a struggle. Like, like you, you may not be on the verge of divorce, or it, it might not be something massive. You might just be wondering, God, like, am I where you want me to be? There's been several times where I'm trying to follow God. I'm trying to do what's right, and I don't know. Like, like, like when Roe and I first got married, we moved to Tennessee. Uh, we love Tennessee, Nashville area, and we volunteered with the church there. And it wasn't really working out the way I thought it was going to work out. Uh, it really wasn't working out very well at all. We were just, basically, we were, like, like, and anyway, it was a great church and a great pastor, but he was just really bad at delegation or anything like that. And he sort of knew that, and so he would invite me over to his house and just try to give me stuff to do. I think because he just felt bad because he had I, anyway so like I was going through his wardrobe you know he wanted me to go through his wardrobe tell him what was what was in style and what, what wasn't in style and I was like ah, I don't know I guess that's cool definitely not that and uh, you know so I, I'm, I'm, I'm opinionated so that, that helps right so people are like all right tell me what you think and so I and I would just go over and he would just bounce things off of me but for the most part I felt like I was just spinning my wheels wasting my time we were just volunteering this church not really doing anything not really going anywhere and on the, on the side, in order to live, we had to do secular jobs. I never had a secular job before. I always worked for, for God, and God always paid me. But now God wasn't paying me. And uh, I was like, okay, so I had to work for this publicist company and make some Christian bands famous. And it was just, I was just, I was tired, right? And, and I remember I was talking to one of my friends on the phone, and he also, God had called him to move to another state, uproot his family, do crazy stuff. And uh, he was like, man, I was, I, like, all, he said something like, all month, I've just been finding dove feathers everywhere. It's so awesome. Like, God's just dropping dove feathers in my house and in my car. And I'm like, dove feathers? He's like, yeah, we don't have any doves or anything, but it's just these, these feathers start appearing. And I was like, oh man, that's so awesome. I, like, I'm genuinely encouraged for you. I hang up and I'm like, Lord, what's up with this? How come he gets dove feathers and I don't get anything? Like nothing? Not like, you know, like a cloud maybe? Something like, like, like it's so, I, I, I don't know if you've ever done that. You've been happy for somebody else, but been like, hey, how come, how come I'm not getting that? And so, and so I, I, I prayed and I said, God, I would like something. 
to let me know I'm in the right place. I'll be happy. Heck, I'll stay in Tennessee forever. I, we were working at a horse barn. Roe was loving it. We were shoveling poop every day. I was hating it. But I was like, you know what? <clears throat> if this is where you want me to be, I'll, I'll go here. Like, I'll stay here. I just don't know if this is it. Like maybe I missed it because there's all these other great opportunities all around the country I said no to in order to be here to shovel poop. And I got this, you know, degree and all this Greek knowledge, and I'm like shoveling poop. And so I'm like, hey, if that's what you want, that's what I'll do, but I need to know. And so I, you know, I, I went about my day, and, and, and it was weird because, and some of you have heard us talk about this, but kind of that week we started finding dimes. And uh, I did a sermon series on this back when we first started the church. I might need to do that again, but <clears throat> how God will drop dimes. And it was, it was the weirdest thing. I never heard of this before. I never read about this. But I started finding dimes. And at first, it was just kind of innocuous because I'm a bit of a... I'm not a naturally joyful person. Let's just put it that way. I, like, for, for Harry to preach a sermon on joy is proof that it is the joy of the Lord, not the joy of Harry. Right? Like, now, Ro, Ro is a naturally joyful person. She wakes up joyful, goes to bed joyful. She was born joyful. She came out giggling. I... <clears throat> I did not, okay? <clears throat> I was, I'm not naturally joyful. I don't, I, I'm a glass half empty kind of guy. I'm a realist, you know what I'm saying? Like, I see things the way they really are. Yeah, maybe some water would be great. And, 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 and so, and so I, I go about my day. Well, the, the hard part for us realists, sometimes we miss miracles because we're not looking for them. Right? And so, like, I go to Walmart, I get out the car, right there at my, like, I open the door, and right there on the ground is this dime all by itself, <clears throat> which is brand new. And they're always brand new dimes. Thanks, babe. They're always brand new, um, shiny dimes right there. At, and I'm like, oh, 10 cents. Sweet. So I reach out, I pick it up, put it in my pocket, you know, because we were poor back then. Like, so I was going to need that for lunch later. I was going to save some of these, and I was going to get some McDonald's for a dollar fifteen. However, I used to get those, those taco thingies, those nasty taco thingies that they had. I forget what it was, but yeah, McDonald's, it was like a, what was it? It was like a, it had, it had meat, it had grilled, it was like a grilled chicken thing and cheese. Anyway, like a dollar fifteen back 15 years ago. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's before that's before current inflation kind of took place. But anyway, it, it, we, so I was like, oh sweet. So I put it in my pocket. I go about my day, you know. And I, I I go down the grocery aisle. I'm there getting what I need, and right down there, right in front of what I need, there's this dime, and I'm like, huh, that's weird. Like, you know. And but they're always all they're always by themselves. It's not like a dime and a penny or a nickel. Because I'm thinking somebody reaches in their pocket, get their keys out, and uh, some change falls out. Sure, but no, it's like one dime all by itself. And I was like. What? Okay, that's like the lightest coin, by the way. You know, your nickel's going to fall out long before your dime falls out. The quarter's larger. So I'm, I'm working through all this in my mind. Oh, that's really odd. All right, I made, I made 20 cents today. This is awesome. So I put it in my pocket, go about my day. And then that started happening just randomly. I would reach in my pocket, and there would be another dime. Jeans I hadn't worn in three months, you know. And I was like, what? There's another. It was just very strange. And I just kind of just tucked it away in the back of my mind as odd. And one night, uh, after about a week of this, I would probably found about 10 or 12 dimes in that week. And, um, and Ro and I were laying in bed, and I, and I, and I said, babe, I don't, I don't know, it's kind of weird, but I've been finding a lot of dimes lately. And she's like, oh my goodness. And so she gets up and goes into our walk-in closet, and she has a bag uh, full of dimes that she's been collecting. There was like 20 or so dimes in this little bag. And I'm like, what's that? And she's like, well, these are all the dimes I've been finding. And I'm like, well, you're not finding my dimes, because I'm spending my dimes at McDonald's. So... <laughs> Where are you finding your dimes? And she's, 
And she's like, she's like, well, I was vacuuming the other day, and I had the walk-in closet, and I vacuumed it, and then I walked out, and I was putting clothes in, and there, like, in the middle of the walk-in closet was this dime just sitting there. And so she's like, I picked it up and saved it. And then she was cleaning the kitchen, and she wiped down the counter. She came back to, 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 to make lunch, and there was a dime on the counter that she just cleaned off. And so it was very—she found it odd. I found it odd. And suddenly, we were both kind of like, maybe— God's like trying to speak to us through dimes. And so that's why I told her, I'm like, well, I was asking for dove feathers because that's biblical. The Holy Spirit's like a dove, you know. Like, this isn't going to sound good in a sermon illustration. Like, who needs dimes? Like, there's not even enough money to do much with. And But I said, maybe God's trying to show us something. So we went to sleep. And the next morning, this is before we had kids, so we'd make the bed together. We don't do that anymore. But uh, we, you know, you wake up and you make the bed together. So we took our pillows off the bed. And underneath my pillow was a dime. It was a brand new shiny dime under my pillow. And we both looked at each other like, what? what is going on? And so it was from that point on that I said, okay, God, I think you're trying to tell me something. And so I started looking into dimes, right? Like it's 10 cents. The number 10 is the biblical number for order. And the proverb says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And that's what I was asking him. Lord, am I where you want me to be? And I felt like God was saying, Yes, you are exactly. Like, like even when you're just going to Walmart, like, I knew you're going to park in that spot. And, and, and I ordained you to park in that spot. Even when you're going down that aisle to get that whatever, like, and it takes you extra long to find it because you're a guy and you don't understand grocery stores. Like, like I knew how long it was going to take you, and I knew where you— and, 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 I, and I see you, Harry. I see where you are. I see what you're doing, and I'm pleased with you. I'm smiling at you. I'm happy that you're stuck in central Tennessee. I know it sucks for you, but I like it. And he's like, and he's, he's like just explaining. He's, he's, he's downloading to me this, this idea that he will constantly speak out to encourage us. And so, so many times, man, in life, and this has been an oddity for us in our relationship, me and Ro, that God will drop dimes in different seasons of uncertainty. When we started City Chapel, for instance, you can't get more uncertain than quitting your job at a great church and deciding to go start another church with a bunch of people that have never started a church before. <laughs> like, you can't, you can't, you, you, you just, like, that's pretty uncertain. But during that season, like, I was the one who went out and put the signs out on the road, you know, let people know that we met in the theater and so I'd go out and I put the sign there and there would be a dime right there where I was about to put the sign and it was just a sign from God to me that Harry I see you I've ordered your steps and you are where I want you to be why because God wants to encourage us and so if you're feeling discouraged today this is a biblical prayer to say God encourage me speak to me encourage me let me know where you are now if you go find a dime, don't blame me. Like, that's not like, oh, I found a dime. I need to buy this house. No, that's not what I'm saying. Like, that, I ran into this guy the other day, and he gave me five dimes, and I need to marry him. No, that's not what I'm saying. Like, just like, like this is not, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not fortune telling. It's not predicting my future. I'm not, I'm not looking to it to, to, as a crystal ball to tell me what to do. It was a, it was a sign that, that God could say, Harry, I see you. And it's, I could care less about the dimes, but I care about my father seeing me, knowing me, loving me, being pleased with me, being happy with where I am. I'm not happy where I am, but at least he's happy so I can move forward. When I have the joy of the Lord, that can be my strength. 
And so, so many times when our house flooded, nine months after starting City Chapel, 10 months, our house flooded and uh, it was pretty well destroyed. And many people from City Chapel took time out to come help us. And we were talking to a couple that was helping us and we were there in the flooded house, cement floors, uh, the sheetrock had been cut about two and a half feet up off the, off, off the, the studs. And I mean, we were clearing it all out, you know, and we were telling them about how we had started finding dimes again. Like God was trying to encourage us saying, hey, it's all right. I knew that your house was gonna flood. I knew you're gonna lose everything, but I, I, I like I'm, I have a plan. I'm still pleased with you. You're in the right place. You didn't buy the wrong house just because it flooded. Because that's what some people are like. They're like, oh, oh, it's, life is getting tough. I must be doing something wrong. <laughs> no, God can still be pleased with you even when life is tough. And it is the joy of the Lord that gives you strength to walk through tough times to know that I didn't buy the wrong house. I didn't start the wrong church. I didn't, I, I didn't, you know, have the wrong kids or marry the wrong person. Like, no, that's not it. God is still pleased with me even when times are tough. And so we were telling this couple about this and we we're standing kind of like, we were just super clear about, just we we're in a little circle, pretty close to each other. And just out of thin air, a dime just ting, 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 right in the middle of us. And I'm like, what was that? And so I reached down, and you should, like, the guy's face, like, he was like, like, he was like he had seen a ghost, you know. He's like, did you just throw that down there? I said, no, I, like, why would I do that? That is so cheesy. I mean, what, a like, fake, fake healings next Sunday at City Chapel? Like, what are we going to, what are we talking about? Like, no, I said, I'm not that fast, even with my, if I just happened to, like, like, you know, I'd stumble through that whole magic trick. I said, no, like, this, this is weird. Like, this, this has happened before. It's just like out of thin air, just falls, a brand new dime. So I picked it up. I said, I think God wants you to know that you're in the right place, that he's pleased with you, that he likes you. <laughs> he's not just God who by himself is happy within himself. He is all of that. But then when he created us, he then tied his enjoyment to our progress. He set his love upon us, which means he, for the first time in all of ever, God tied his happiness to ours. That's what marriage is, where I'm tying my happiness to you. When you're happy, I'm happy. When you're down, I'm down. When you're struggling, I'm struggling. When you're winning, I'm winning. Because we're now a team. And this is what God said. God said, I will marry you. In other words, I, I, I won't just be this God who no matter what's going on in your life, everything's great in my life. I'll be this God who marries you. In other words, I'll come into when you're struggling, I'm going to be feeling it. And when you're happy, I'm happy. And when you're winning, we're winning. Because two become one. And it's no longer about him versus her. That's, that's when you're headed toward divorce, when it's <laughs> the two competing against each other. But a good marriage is where two people are cheering for one another. Because if you succeed, I succeed. If you feel good about yourself, I feel good about myself. If you have good self-esteem, like we're all, we're tied together. And God, as crazy as it sounds, has tied himself with us by deciding to marry us. He's saying, look, I am tying my happiness to yours. I am securing you and your happiness, and in so doing, I'm tying us together so that our happiness kind of depends on each other. And it's amazing that, that, that God, who was completely content within himself when he created us, right? He didn't, he didn't create us because he was lonely. He was completely happy within himself, joyful within himself. When he created us, he decided with his own sovereign will to tie his joy to ours so that as we 
grow in our holiness and, and in our happiness. His happiness and His delight in us grows. And when we're struggling, He's feeling it. And so He says, look, He says, I'll, I'll speak encouragement to you. I'll speak words of encouragement no matter what you're going through. And He says, I'll speak, I'll speak words of love to you and affection. Right? He says, I'll marry you. That's, those are words, vows of affection. And then he says, I will speak uh, words of, of value to you. He says, you will be like a crown in the hand of the Lord. That's interesting because most of the time we think of crowns, we think of uh, the book of Revelation and how uh, those who overcome will receive a crown, will receive a reward. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, not because I'm down with crowns, but just because rewards sound great. You know what I mean? Like, that sounds good. I don't know what that means, but I, I like, yes, let's, let's get a reward. But God is not just saying that he will give us a reward. He, he is saying that you are his reward. That you are what he is after when he died on the cross. Remember the book of Hebrews says that we should be like Jesus who endured the cross, despising the shame, who for the joy that was set before him. Right? That's why he did it. Well, what is this joy before him? <laughs> it is us. We are the joy that was set before him. And in the same way, Hebrews says that we should run the race with endurance looking unto Jesus so we look to him. He is our joy. He looks to us. We are his joy. This is also a great marriage. When you find your joy in your spouse and your spouse finds their joy in you. So this is, this, this is what God is saying. God is saying, I will find my joy in you. That my, my reward will be earning your love, will be winning you and wooing you and drawing you and enticing you. Right? He's, he's saying, and if we, if we could go back to that verse, he actually says some pretty incredible things. He says, he says, your land will be called happily married because the Lord is pleased with you. will be, be like a husband to you, like a young man taking a virgin uh, as his bride. He who formed you will marry you as a groom is delighted with his bride, so your God will delight in you. If we could go back to verse, I think it's verse 2 or 3, uh, where he says, he says, Jerusalem, the nations will see you glorious. All their kings will see your glory. Not my glory. All their kings will see your glory. Now this is, this is weird because usually he's talking about his glory, which I believe he's really concerned about, rightfully so. But here he says, I want the nations to see your glory. <laughs> and any of you that have been married, you know what it's like to be proud of the person you married. Right? God is saying, look, I want you on my arm. And I want us to go on a fancy date and I want everybody to know that you're with me. Some of you aren't married, but some of you, <laughs> some of you maybe, I don't know, maybe you have a nice car that you enjoy driving. Just theoretically, maybe it's a V10, possibly. And you're like, I just like driving this so that other people can be like, wow, that's a cool car. That is a cool car. Or maybe you have a really nice pair of tennis shoes that you love, and you love wearing those shoes because when you wear those shoes, people go, man, those are cool shoes. Or maybe there's a t-shirt people compliment a lot, and they're like, I really like that t-shirt. Like, well, I, I don't know what it is, but it, I'm, I'm saying that when you have something that you value, that you think is beautiful, that you find your joy in, you don't mind other people looking at that instead of you. Because they're celebrating the glory of that thing that you also see so much value in. And I believe God wants 
to put you on a shelf. God wants to put you on his arm. God wants to drive you down Main Street. God wants to wear you on his feet. Like God wants people to see the glory that he already sees in you. See, this is, this is the joy of the Lord. Not that he sees your past, but that he sees your potential. He says, I see what's inside of you, and I can't wait for the rest of the world to also see what I placed inside of you. Like, so they'll see your glory, and it won't detract from his glory. He's not insecure like that. It won't detract from his glory. It'll add to his glory because of what he placed inside of you, what he did for you. He who formed you will marry you. So that when people see your glory, they'll say, so who made you? <laughs> oh, that, that, that was God who did that. He made me beautiful. He made me glorious. He gave me this glory. And then he, then he drew me in. And then he showed me off. <laughs> and I know this is weird, right? This is weird for people who grew up in church. Because usually if you grew up in church, it's all about like the church. And it's all about the church getting showed off. And the people the church growing. And the church getting money. And the church getting volunteers. And the church doing stuff. And it seems like the church becomes this, this weird almost government it's like a it's not an actual person it's just this thing that this entity that that, that that is just sucking power and energy and time from everybody but that's not what God intended God intended for people you to be to be so delighted in for you to receive the delight of God and from that delight from that security from that secure place to then find your delight in him delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart and that delight is not difficult. It's not a burden. But it really is something that you can step into. And as, and as, and as, and as we step into that, and that really as we believe that, that's the question. Do you believe, are you willing to believe the word of God? Or do you need some kind of visual proof? If you need visual proof, God knows he will drop dimes occasionally. So ask him for visual proof. Lord, you know what? I need to, like, I need to know that I am where, where, where you want me to be. And, and if you don't get anything, maybe you're not where he wants you to be. Maybe step back into that place of obedience and say, okay, God, where do you want me to be? Oh, yeah, that thing you told me to do three months ago. I haven't done that yet. I should probably get on that. But, but understand that you're coming from a place of acceptance, not working for a place of acceptance. You're coming from a place where he already values you. He sees you for who he's created you to be as a, as, a, as a crown in his hand that he can't wait to put on his head and showcase, showcase your glory, but also showcase his glory in making you. And so as we come before him, it's not a fearful thing. It's not a scared thing. It's a delight thing. And so we step into this, this marriage with him. And finally, I, I, I don't think I have the verses up there, but... Um, I, Actually, I think we do. If we keep going on to verse 6, I want to end with this. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have placed centuries. Now, this, these are the prayer warriors. They must never be silent day or night. They must remind the Lord of his promises and never let him forget them. That's the goal of intercession, to remind the Lord of his promises. And never let him forget them. They must give him, God, no rest. <laughs> you keep God up at night. That's what intercessors do. You keep him up. They must give him no rest until he restores his people, or Jerusalem, and makes it a city the whole world praises. The Lord has made a solemn promise, and by his power he will carry it out. And this is his promise. Your grain will no longer be food for your enemies, and foreigners will no longer drink your wine. But you that planted and harvested the grain will eat, 
the bread and praise the Lord. You that tended and gathered the grapes will drink the wine in the courts of my temple. What, what is he saying there? He's saying, I will restore justice to you. I don't know if anybody has had in, any injustice happen in their life. <laughs> Everybody in here has experienced injustice. Some to greater levels, in greater degrees. But he's saying, I will restore justice to you. You've been cheated, and I will make it right. Hmm. So many times we have this version of, of God, I don't know, he's not joyful, he's kind of grumpy. He's not really in love with us unless we're doing everything right, in which case then he's like, well, okay, hopefully you, you keep that up. <laughs> he's, and at the same time, he's not really that concerned with justice. I think one of the reasons why we have such a hard time forgiving people, we talked about this in Kairos last week, but one of the reasons we have such a hard time forgiving people is because we do not understand the heart of God for justice. One of the greatest things that people say whenever they've been wronged and they have a hard time forgiving, they'll say, it's just not fair. What happened wasn't fair. Oh, good. You holding on to it is going to make it all better. <laughs> oh, wait. No, it's not. That's sarcasm. It's still not fair. No matter what you do from this point on, it's not fair. I remember one time we, we hired a guy to build a fence for our property, and he uh, did half the fence, and then he wanted the other half of the money. And so we gave him the other half of the money, and he didn't do the other half of the job surprise surprise and he took off i don't know where the heck he went he's just gone like he had no cell phone no nothing he was kind of a, I don't, a drifter maybe i don't know he's gone so he took three thousand dollars and he was just out of our lives and out of everything and that was like all the money we had in savings so we were like well i guess we're not getting the fence done now and so but immediately you know i'm faced with the option do i forgive him or do i get angry at him and man, I'm telling you, it's not easy, but it's important to forgive. What, what does it mean to forgive? It means to release him and to not blame him anymore. He never has to pay me back. He never has to make it right. I'm not saying it was right what he did, because it clearly wasn't. But he doesn't have to pay me back. To forgive somebody is to, instead of me seeking justice, I'll put myself in the hands of God. And so I remember about a month later, we were on vacation. We were in Chicago. I was going, I stepped into an elevator to go up the John Hancock building. And it was weird. I wasn't thinking about the guy. I wasn't thinking about our property. I wasn't thinking about any of that. I step in and, you know, you get to look over to the city, the Windy City, and it's, and it's cool. And, and, I, and God spoke to me and said, hey, do you want me to make that guy pay you back the $3,000? And maybe it's because it was getting near Christmas time. And I was like, what are we going to do for Christmas presents? And, and it's like, man, the $3,000 would come in handy right about now. And, uh, and God just said, would, do you want me to make him pay you back? And I, and, and, and I was like, huh. And so I, I, I stood there and I was thinking about it. And I said, I said man, I, Lord, I don't, I, don't, I, I don't think so. I've forgiven him. He doesn't have to pay me back. But if you want to pay me back, because Lord knows that guy's already spent his $3,000 and how you would make him pay me, I don't even want to know like what you would do. <laughs> Is he going to have to go to jail or something? What's going to happen? Uh, but Lord, you can forgive him and just let him go about his life. Bring him to yourself somehow. Draw him to yourself. But if you want to pay me back, that would be awesome. However you want to pay me back, actually. If it's three grand, if it's 30 grand, 300 grand, yeah, you got a lot of money up there. You decide if it's wisdom, maybe. 
Because one good idea is actually worth more than 300 grand sometimes. So maybe it's with, maybe it's connections. Maybe you want, maybe, like, I don't know. However you want to just make sure it's fair. You make it fair. You know I was stolen from. You figure it out. That's what you do when you go before a court of law. When you go into a court, you are basically saying, look, I am done trying to settle this. I'm going to turn it over to the judge and let the judge figure it out. Right? I'll plead my case. I think I was wronged, but I'll let the judge decide what's going to happen. By the way, the last couple weeks, there's been some good judgments from some, some, some national judgments going on. I feel pretty good about, but anyway. Uh, so I'm, I, like when justice happens, it's good. It feels good. It's like, yes, the bad guy got locked up. The innocent guy got released. Like, this is good. I like justice. I'm a justice kind of guy. And so uh, anybody else? Justice people. <laughs> well, God is also a justice guy. Justice is something, it's God's idea. God came up with justice. He really is really, really big on it. And so when we turn people over, so I just turned them over to, and I said, God, look, you help him out. He doesn't have the money anymore, I'm sure. But help me out, right? Psalm 43, Psalm 43 says, vindicate me, O God. Because there's, there's other ways in which we are wronged, right? There's money that could be stolen from us. We have a guy in the church that I was talking to or his car. Somebody just like unscrewed the the thing uh, in the bottom of his radiator. So all of his radiator fluid leaked out on the pavement at night and he didn't see it because it was at night and he got in his car and drove home and then his engine overheated and blew up, right? That's injustice. That's his car and somebody's just being mean and just decided to destroy it. Well, then he took it to a place down in San Marcos uh, a shop down in San Marcos, they paid the guy $2,900 to put a new engine in. Well, that guy stopped returning their calls and cussed them out whenever they came by the shop, so they had to take him to court. And then the judge said, well, that guy needs to give you, this like $4,000 is all. That's for the whole thing. He gets to keep the car. So this guy who was in our church had a car a year and a half ago that was destroyed by somebody else, stolen by somebody else, and then he was charged for the guy to steal it and now, like, uh, the court of law, like, in America decided you get this amount of money. And I said, dude, that doesn't even cover the car. Barely covers what you paid the guy. He's like, I know. And so I said, hey, let me tell you a story. God is not a God who's like, well, just suck it up and just deal with it. Just forgive people. Just let it go. That's not who God is. Would, is, is, is that how you treat your spouse if somebody ripped them off? Would you be like, well, honey, you just got to deal with it. Just let them go. No, we do. We release it to God, and then God says, Honey, I'll take care of it. <laughs> I got you. I got you. But, and, and this is what we can do. We can pray Psalm 43 and say, Vindicate me, O God. If I've really been wronged, and that is a, an if. Sometimes we're just touchy. <laughs> Let's be honest. Some people are just touchy. You weren't, you, weren't, they, you, didn't, you weren't wronged. You're just touchy. But sometimes you've really, really, really been wronged. And there's all kinds of ways in which we've been wrong, right? The, uh, the way in which David is talking about in Psalm 43 is gossip. He said, they've been tearing down my character behind my back. That's a different kind of robbery. Stealing from your reputation, which Proverbs says is worth more than gold, right? And so there's different ways in which we are, we are wounded and hurt, right? And the key is, I can hold on to it myself. That's not good. I can release it to God and be like, oh, nothing's ever going to happen. That's not good either because you're not believing that God is actually for you and that he's actually for justice. And so I encouraged a guy in our church. I said, look, man, you have a real good case now to bring before the court of heaven. If I were you, I'd be praying Psalm 43 and say, God, 
you don't need to get that guy. I really don't. Like, whatever happens to him, that's fine. But you need to help me out because I've been robbed here. How about you vindicate me? How about you make it right? If you've truly, he said, these are the two steps. One, truly from your heart, release the person. And secondly, from your heart, believe that God loves justice and he loves you. And then say, God, okay, help me out. What are, and then look for him to do it. Basically, God, what are you going to do to benefit me because of how I've been wronged? And because I'm your kid and because you love me. And literally, this happened just a couple weeks ago. <laughs> it's, it's always lovely when uh, people tell you stuff that you don't want to know, right? It's like, like we, don't, we don't get into gossip. We don't, and, and usually we shut it down so that, you know, people who are into gossip end up not talking to us, you know? Usually, the go- the, whatever the scoop is, we don't know it because nobody tells us. Because <laughs> as soon as they start telling us, we're like, you really shouldn't be saying that. <laughs> and so, you know, you, 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 <laughs> but sometimes somebody will come and be like, well, did you know so-and-so is saying this about you? And it's like, ah, I didn't know that, and I really don't need to know that. I really don't want to know that. And so that, that happened. Apparently somebody who had been saying lies about us in the past is still, oh, surprisingly, still doing that. And it's like, well, okay, I, that, I sort of expect that. I don't think they've gotten right with God yet. I'm praying for them, but uh, there's probably some of this stuff going on. Well, somebody came to us and said, oh, so-and-so said, da, 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 da. and we're like, oh, okay, great. So then we have to process it. So Ro and I are processing it last Thursday night. And um, I said, look, babe, the two ways we can respond. One, we can get mad at the person, which that's not going to help anything. Two, we can just let it roll off our back and just go on with our lives. That's also not biblical. Three, we can give it over to God and say, God, we've been wronged. Could you stand up for us and make, make it right? That's what we did. So that night, I, I said, look, this is one of the Psalms. I don't know. So I Googled it. Psalm 43, verse 4, I think it is. <laughs> That's what pastors have to do. You got to Google it. Psalm 43, verse 4. Vindicate me, O God. R- r- stand, stand up for me. Fight for me. All that kind of stuff. I read it. I said, look, this is, this is my prayer. God, help us out. And like the next morning, somebody called with a kind of a cool opportunity. I guess we're going to have a commercial shot in our property, and they're going to pay us a little bit of money to come do the commercial. So it, is, it gave us an—this is the thing. It gave us an opportunity to glorify God instead of just happenstance and chance. No, God is standing up for me. And, I, and I'm not bitter toward anybody that says anything because, honestly, I'm praying for them that God would help them in their heart because it's a, it's a heart issue for them. But for me, I'm happy to then bring it before God and say, okay, God, how about you stand up for me? Because some of you, I, I know, have gone and currently are going through unjust things, and you're being treated horribly, and it's not fair. And, 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 and do not hear the voice of God saying, well, just suck it up and deal with it. Forgive them. No. Is that, is that what your loving husband's going to say to you? Hopefully not. All right, that's not a loving husband thing to say. God says, look, let them go and turn them over to me. Let justice go and turn it over to me, and I will fight for you. No more will you plant stuff and have somebody else go get it. No more will you, will you, will you make the wine and then somebody else drinks it. You're going to drink from the stuff that you, you, you will reap what you sow because I fight for you. Man, I just sense the Holy Spirit just confirming right there. If we just close our eyes for just a minute, I just want to give you a chance to respond to God with that.